electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Sell the rallies or buy the dips. What is the best strategy for your money right now? We'll debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Bryn Talkington, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova, Josh Brown, John Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's take a look at where the trade is at 12 noon in the east. A mixed bag. Dow's hanging on to gains. S&P, NASDAQ, modest losses. Ten-year note yield 192. So we continue to creep towards 2%. Always like to check that for you when we come on the air. Joe Terranova, you think we're still going to retest the January lows? I do, Scott. And I think what's happening right now is uh, when you're talking about selling rallies, you're selling rallies in growth. And when you're talking about buying dips, you're buying the dips as it relates to cyclicals. But I think markets right now are trying to figure out what really matters most in terms of retail and institutional ownership. Is it the earnings that we saw from Amazon, from Alphabet, from Apple, or is it the real disappointing earnings that we've seen from Netflix and from Facebook? Um, Markets are, I think, right now struggling with that. And I think what you're ultimately going to see as Treasury yields move towards 2% is a lot of investors who have been seeking income and using these mega cap equities basically as bond proxies. I think they're going to pair back on some of those holdings. It doesn't mean that you don't want to hold them, but they've been at such a massive overweight. And I think that's going to place some pressure overall on the S&P 500 as we begin to kind of pair back holdings on these mega cap equities because higher yields, you're not going to need us to have such extension of ownership. So, Josh, that's, that's like been the question we've been asking for months. When, if people are going to move out of those big stocks and then what the ultimate impact is going to be on the market. It's been really the only thing that's been a consistent holder up of the market, right? These mega cap stocks, even when you had that rolling correction below the surface and a lot of stocks got obliterated. The original reason why Mike Wilson's fire and then ice call never came to fruition was because the mega caps never really rolled over. Joe's suggesting now you could get money coming out of those stocks. I can't imagine a scenario in which you get money coming out of the biggest S&P, the biggest stocks in the biggest S&P group, and somehow the market can be all right with that and not retest at, at minimum. Yeah, I don't think the, the retest itself would be the end of the world. But like you had Amazon at its low point uh, last week prior to reporting those incredible earnings in an 18 percent drawdown. Historically, if you've bought Amazon in that range, 20 percent off its high, you've been rewarded really quickly. Uh, and maybe that was the case again. We'll see if the, the rally from from the end of the week sticks. But like you had Netflix is not a mega cap. We, I know we, we always talk about it, but it's not that important uh, market cap wise. Uh, Apple and Microsoft are holding up the whole show. There's no way around that. That's just the truth. That's what's going on right now. They have some help. Uh, large cap consumer discretionary names in there like Home Depot, et cetera, are also you know, holding things up. Some big financial firms. Berkshire Hathaway has been a tentpole this year so far. Uh, but for the most part, 
It's Apple and Microsoft. And if you have a reason why those two names should suddenly fall 20%, then definitely you'll get a retest and more. If you don't have a reason, given that they've reported earnings and given guidance and are buying back boatloads of stock, if you don't have a reason, then that Wilson scenario remains difficult to see. I would just point out diversification, and I talk about this on the show all the time, it's still undefeated. If you're diversified right now, like if you own value stocks, you're only down 2 to 3% from the highs in those names. If you own an S&P 500 index fund, 6 to 7%. If you own small caps, you're down 20%. The NASDAQ 100, 11 or 12%. So it's like degrees of good and bad. And if you've got an equity balance, uh, which I think for most investors who are not professional traders, they should, this is really not that bad. And if we revisit those lows, it still won't be that bad. And I think for most people, that's the experience they're having. The thing is, everybody owns one or two of those names that are down 70 or 80%, right? And like people can fixate on that because they're popular stocks in some cases. But that's not most people's portfolios. Most people are not running a concentrated innovation strategy. Mm -hmm. They just aren't. I mean, Bryn, I'm, I'm looking just to refresh people's memories, because when you move further and further from the Monday of the lows, we tend to forget about what the lows actually were. And we're quite a distance away at this point. I got the Dow at 35, 35,087. I mean, the low is 33.1. S&P right now is 42.22. We're almost 300 points above that on the S&P. NASDAQ's low is 13.95. We got a 14 handle on, on the NASDAQ right now. Do you think that we're going back to the depths of, of that place? Well, you know, we were there for like a minute, by the way. So um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, there's a, there's a host of different reasons that we can retest that. I don't think it really matters longer term. I think it may be healthy to make a double bottom there. But I do think what's interesting, if you look for the month of January, and this is how narrow the market is, Every single sector was negative for the month of January, except energy, which was up 19 percent. So I think to to Josh's point, you have degrees of, you know, degrees of negative with the exception of the very narrow energy market. And, you know, there's a saying in our business, you know, that concentration creates wealth and diversification preserves it. And that's why, you know, in our portfolios, we've had a really outsized exposure to covered call strategies. You know, we use J we use Jeppy, but just like having covered calls to, to lean into that volatility, I think is really important. And I think we're going to continue to have this churn in the market where, you know, with energy, it's a buy the dip with tech right now. It's a still sell the rip because I think everyone's still so focused on, you know, what is the terminal rate of the Fed for interest rates? How high is inflation going to be? And so the market's very uncertain around that. But I feel really confident that four months from now, five months from now, you know, GDP is going to be coming down very quickly. GDP is decelerating. Um, I don't know what rate hikes, how they cure supply chains. And so I think it'll be good to get a few rate hikes or maybe one or two under our belt and the market will somewhat settle down. But I think ultimately later on this year, Tech will start to potentially get a bid as we see GDP coming down. We've 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 handled a couple rate hikes because ultimately the Fed really can't tighten 
much more than five or six times. They just can't because we have too much debt in our balance sheet and the average maturity of our debt's around five years. And if you refinance that at two, three percent, that ends up being like 10 to 15 percent of our fiscal budget every year. And so the market's thinking the Fed's going to raise rates so many times. I don't think they will. And so that's where you want to be super diversified now as the market is panicking about everything. And then later on the year when you have clarity, I do think you're going to get more of a bid in technology stocks. Uh, I suppose, Weiss, that's why maybe some think that perhaps your best position, at least in the near term, like we mentioned, Dan Niles, what he said on the network on Friday morning, that cash is a viable position right now for all the reasons that Bryn suggested. GDP down, rates up, Fed's not your friend. You know, I, I mean, I could go on and list a few others. Yeah, Bryn said something that, that really resonated, uh, which is that rate hikes don't cure supply chains. And that's the issue. And I agree. So you potentially have the, the worst of both worlds. You have rate tightening while prices are still going because scarcity of supply, but yet you've got that demand among the segment of population. I've been in cash for a while. I'm still bearish. I remain bearish. And I'll tell you, Mike Wilson has been the most correct strategist, not the Tom Lees, because if you take a look at the market performance over the last three months, you've got three sectors that are up. Everything else is red. And that does not tell the true story about a number of the key stocks there as well. So well, I, mean, I think he's that been right for the three months. Been, but you, you, he's been right for three months. No, no, maybe. he's been right longer. Scott, Scott, he's been right for longer. The market's done basically nothing since last July. So for all the analysts to come out bullish, 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 we're running in place in the market. And if you take away, as Josh referenced, the stocks that are doing the heavy lifting, You've potentially lost money. You take away energy, which is up over the last three months, 21%. You take utilities away. They were up over 2.5%. Others are down meaningfully. And individual stocks are down into bear territory, deep bear territory. So that's been the true story underneath it. And most of the people that watch the show are looking at stocks, I believe. They're not just looking at the indices. So I remain bearish. I'd rather be in cash. I've been in cash. Every time I go and try and do something in the market, it seems to be the wrong move. So I don't feel I have to declare now. As I've often said, I hate losing money more than I, hate, more than I like making money. So there's nothing to make me go in. And while everybody's saying, or a lot of saying that, hey, it's already discounted in. Everybody knows the Fed's going to raise rates. But guess what? The Fed's still easing as they were. They stopped buying some bonds, but they're still buying it. They still have interest rates down low. They haven't even tightened yet. The tightening's happened in Europe. So I'll leave you with this final thought. Mm. We're in a global tightening cycle versus a global easing cycle. UK already raised rates. We'll see others do it. Doesn't it make sense? Market's going to remain under pressure while that occurs. You can't have it both ways. All right. Well, Dr. J, I mean, J.P. Morgan says hikes are priced in. Weiss is referring to that a bit, I believe, along with a number of other things. Uh, they suggest mm-hmm. that equities still offer upside that you should buy the dip, even though Wilson continues to say that they're sellers of rallies. And he did again this morning when he was on Squawk. Yeah, I, I don't think he's wrong to say it, Scott. Um, you know, selling rips is the position that we'll be in for some period of time. Um, how long will that last? You tell me. I mean, are we going to send more than 3,000 troops um, over into NATO to deal with 130,000 Russian troops that are massing on Ukraine border? Um, I don't know. 
Uh, these are those unknowns that everyone, including Bryn, just spoke to. There's so many of those unknowns out there that I can't say, oh, yeah, let's just buy this because, you know, we're going to just rip to the upside. If we knew that Russia wouldn't act in its own best interest, which is more or less to destabilize that part of the world, Scott, so that we can get prices up through 100 and perhaps even through 110 on WTI, uh, that is in their best interest, is it not? Um, so even if they don't have to go into Ukraine to make that happen, that is still in Putin's best interest. Um, as far as these sanctions, I don't think that'll stop them. I'd rather, if I were him, produce that oil and sell it at 110 um, or threaten to take the plus out of OPEC+. Plus. So those are the significant risks that are out there right now, more so than a 50 basis point mistake that I do not think the Fed will make. I think the Fed will do 25, 25, 25. I'm still thinking we're in that three to four, perhaps, camp. And I think they're going to be really hard pressed to get to four, Scott. So in, in my mind, Steve's right as far as supply chains and Bryn said it. Um, you're not going to cure that with interest rate hikes. Um, and uh, as far as uh, what Mr. Putin will or won't do, I think he'll just sit there for as long as he has to to get these prices up. But he's got a limited window, too, Scott, because um, once it starts to warm up in Europe, they're not as desperate for his natural gas uh, coming through that Nord Stream pipeline. Um, so he is not going to wait forever. Something is going to happen between now and springtime. And that's why I say sell the rips. OK, well, I want to go back to where we started some 13 minutes ago. And, and that's this idea yeah. that Joe brings. Well, I mean, it all ties together at the end of the day. This idea that yep. you could have money coming out of some of the mega caps. Again, we'll push Netflix out, out, of, out of that conversation until a little bit later because we don't consider it like a mega cap tech anyway. It sounds like we don't. Um, Steve Weiss, you sold Facebook entirely now. You had trimmed your position and now you're out. Can you explain? Sure. Look, the market's just not just not saying, hey, I got to buy these beaten up stocks. And the narrative on Facebook is just so negative. What caused me to finally pull the trigger this morning is there's a Bloomberg article where Facebook is threatening to pull out Instagram and Facebook from Europe if they're not allowed to transfer data into the U.S. Now, they've, they've threatened this before, but the point of it is that it's a glass half full market. And when I look at Facebook as I, this morning, I thought about it a lot over the weekend. I said, is this a stock I would buy today? Or is it something that I'm hoping is going to bounce? And I see other stocks that are down as much or more with actually better fundamentals with the wind at their back versus Facebook, which still has the wind in its face. So that's why I sold it. And uh, you know what? I feel better. I feel relieved, Scott, at getting rid of it. I don't have to see it on my screen anymore. And I guess I don't have to ask you about it anymore. I don't know. Maybe you'll buy it back by the end of the day. You let us know, though, Weiss. You operate fairly quickly um, in times like these. So, Josh, I want to ask you a question about Facebook since we're on that topic specifically. Uh, last week, you said I'd like to buy it under $200. You don't own it now, and you've railed against it for the better part of the last few years on this program, saying you would never own it. Uh, for a variety of reasons, not many of which had to do with the actual fundamentals of the company, but more the moral stance, I think, that you felt you were taking by not owning a Facebook. But now you'd like to buy it under $200. Is that your current view? And if so, why? 
Yeah, I think I'd buy it for a trade. Uh, I don't want to be like a long-term investor in Facebook for a lot of things that have been said a million times by people in a more eloquent way than I would. Um, but just listening to the last conference call, I think Mark Mahaney uh, wanted to know about like what steps they're taking toward ESG. I, I spit coffee. on. I was on the LIRR listening to that the next morning, and I, 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 like, I couldn't believe how hilarious. This is a company that... Uh, Basically, is like destabilizing governments on five continents, and we want to know if they're ESG. Listen, this company will never, from like from a moral perspective, I think, ever truly uh, be looked at the way other large cap technology companies have been in the past. It's just a trickier landscape. Their whole business is getting people's attention and keeping it, and nothing gets people's attention. Uh, easier than controversial content or getting people on the other side of an argument than like their dentist and just keeping that cycle of anger and, and, and rage going. I don't think that they want that to be the truth. I'm just telling you that is how social media works. So forget about the, the morality. What we're talking about on the show mostly is about making money because we, dis- we could all look at other stocks and say, oh, that's not good for humanity. I- forget about all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I do think I'm going to get a shot at this thing under 200. I do think at a certain point it will be oversold and might make for a good trade. But the bigger message here that I was talking about last week, changing the name to Meta 10 years before they're ever going to make any money on that. I- again, I can't stop coming back to that because I think it's emblematic of just bad judgment. So I think this is a phenomenal business from a profitability standpoint, like Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp. I just think they made a really big mistake. And I don't know that the shareholders, that confusion hanging over the stock will ever fully dissipate, uh, at least not in the near term. So I I would think about Facebook tactically. Okay, Uh, John, you're as tactical as anybody uh, has ever been in the market. Is that how you're thinking about it? Yeah, I would trade this one too, Scott. Uh, Josh brings up the good point that, you know, you've got morality and you're weighing that against making money. Um, Google is just as dirty as Facebook, maybe dirtier, because they can define what's trending um, as far as that massive library of those YouTube videos and so forth, Scott. So, I mean, if I want to put, you know, that morality hat on rather than my hat that says, I'm going to make money for me and my family and hopefully for folks that end up deciding that they'd like to follow along with trades that we do. Um, I am trying to make money on this one because I think, as Josh says, it is likely to test down into the low 200s. At that point, I think it will be a buy. You remember, Scott, when Microsoft or when IBM actually was going to change its name to Internet Business Machines in approximately 2000, they flirted with that idea. But luckily, they said, no, let's not do that. That's dumb. Um, Facebook didn't have that kind of adult supervision. So to Josh's point, they made that stupid change to Meta. Um, They also did it to get away from the Frances Hogan, um, you know, because she was in front of Congress as well as on 60 Minutes. The whistleblower. The whistleblower. Exactly. Exactly right. Um, So that was like a shell game. It uh, didn't really work. People didn't they really forget what the name Facebook to Instagram. was all about. <laughs> they it's probably they really should have, it, Josh. Well, I don't. It's, yeah, Instagram I, has been. I agree. Instagram has been left out of. Instagram has been left out of all the 2016 election uh, stuff. Like it, it might have played a role, but like 
if they wanted to change the name to something that's popular and productive and would possibly make people less confused about what they're trying to do, Instagram would have been a superior choice. So, Dr. I agree, J, and that's where they're... Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Ahead, Scott. I'm going to ask you a question. Is. I want you to, if you could finish your thought, but let me just get a question in there to you as well. So if you think it's going to trade into the low 200s, would you be an equity buyer or would you play it through options? And if so, what kind of numbers are we talking about would pique your interest on both respects? Um, somewhere between 200 and 210, Scott, um, I would be an interested buyer. I would probably trade an option um, at that strike, the 210 strike, for instance, because then I have a defined amount of risk. If we're wrong and this thing just keeps cratering, I don't really think so. But again, uh, to, to uh, sort of mitigate that, I would own the 210 calls. And then on any bounces, I would be selling calls at higher strikes, like the 220s, 225s, and so forth against mm -hmm. it. I think you get a very quick bounce when we finally get to that oversold level. We're close. I mean, you look at the, the amount of share turnover. Um, I think it averaged about $20 million a day, Scott, coming into this disastrous quarter. Um, and it was over $100 million on several days um, last week. So that's telling me that we're getting that sort of washout that you want to see, that sort of capitulation where people just throw up their hands and walk away. I've, I've learned over the years to read Joe Terranova's facial expressions, especially when he has something... <laughs> he'd like to say and he'd really like to do it in a pressing way and he was making one of those it sort of looks like when you're trying to lift something that's way too heavy for you joe is kind of making that kind of face so joe i know you have something to say and it better be good after the face that you were making and i saw in that box to the bottom left i appreciate that scott thank you for knowing me so well first of all the average price target 12 months for facebook is 337 the analysts at this point should just suspend coverage and say we have no clue that's absolutely ridiculous. But I heard both Josh and John say the same thing. They think they're going to get Facebook under 200. And that's exactly where I began this show talking about ownership. And I tend to look at the market from the form of what does the market own? Josh is emphasizing diversification. 100% agree with him. Josh is talking about if you retest the lows, opportunity. 100% agree with him. But I think if there is concentration in the market... The concentration is specifically towards mega cap equity. So all I'm doing is I'm making people aware that your expectation might ultimately be that if Facebook is going to actually trade below 200, you're going to see some of the concentration that's in mega cap equities be removed, be taken out, and you're going to probably see more diversification in the market go to places well, where right now Ownership is at underweight, like small caps, why, why like Europe, it, why, like emerging why, markets. Why wouldn't it go to a place within the mega cap universe and use a word that you use almost every day? Quality. All right. So mm -hmm. you, you can't make a, a referendum on the market because Facebook might have more money bleeding out of it for its own fundamental reasons. The company's just not going to grow potentially the way that it was in the past, justifying the amount of money going into it. But why wouldn't I go to an Apple? That's not falling apart, and there's no indication that it would, or an Amazon, or an Alphabet, or a Microsoft, for, for that matter. Those are all you could make a case for at this very moment. Higher quality mega cap stocks, couldn't you? So I think you could make a very strong case for Amazon, and that would be because Amazon has had underperformance in the last six months, and they've actually now 
for the very first time, initiated a capital allocation strategy. Very small, but they're buying back their stock. So I agree with you on Amazon. As it relates to Apple and Microsoft, the market the market's already there. I mean, the market is already incredibly long. And I think the, the other challenge there, the other compelling competition, is that yields are rising towards 2%, and growth is actually better than we expected. And that's going to go for investors to create the opportunity in places that in the last three or four years you just didn't want to be. Small caps, biotechs, cyclicals, other geographic regions. I mentioned before, Europe and the emerging markets. So I think those are going to be the sources of opportunity. It doesn't mean that Apple or Microsoft is, is going down 20%. Not at all. I'm just saying you're reducing a lot of the concentration that these mega cap equities have been used from an asset allocation perspective the last couple of years being identified as bond proxies. Well, in and of itself, if money's coming out of Facebook, you're just naturally doing that. Bryn, go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I don't I think that, you know, it's been mentioned a few times about having these big names as bond proxies. But I don't think when it comes to brass brass tax, people are actually allocating the FANG names as literal bond proxies. Maybe they're supposed to be less volatile than other equities. But I think what you're going to see is twofold. You know, first of all, I talked about this in December of, the, of you know, last year. The NASDAQ has annualized tw- or had annualized 20% per year for the last 10 years. Outside of the tech bubble, that is top, top decile since the NASDAQ was created back in the 70s. And so it's like that's just going to come down and you're starting to see that happen. I also think, though, that people are going to start distinguish and unbundle these fang names because I think the issues that Facebook has are diametrically different than the challenges and opportunities that Microsoft and face and, and Apple and Amazon have. And so I definitely think there'll be some repositioning. I don't see, though, people moving out of big cap tech on in earnest going into, you know, emerging markets. I still think that's a fringe, a fringe asset class and just one point on emerging markets. It's like China. China is 35% of emerging market. Taiwan is 15% of that. And so I think that is going to open itself to a whole bunch of other geopolitical risks after the Olympics as China is trying to make a one China. And so I think it's going to be more of a rotation out of Facebook into the Microsofts and Apples than going to another 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 complete area. OK, uh, we are going to take a quick hey, break. Scott, can, can I- Weiss, hold that thought. OK, can I chime? No. OK, sorry. Pal. Yep. Yep. We'll do it later. <laughs> We're going to take uh-huh. a quick uh-huh. We are going to take a quick break. Uh, We still have to talk about a potential Peloton deal. Really? All right. We uh, may have some suitors out there, according to reports. We'll kick that around. Talk about that stock right there, too. Netflix down more than 3.5% today. It's down 30% since the start of the year. One Wall Street analyst now says the streaming platform should consider selling itself. We're going to debate that. It's our call of the day for obvious reasons. It's a big one. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. 
If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Jury selection has begun in the federal hate crime trial of three white men convicted of murdering Ahmaud Arbery. It's expected to be a long process. More than a thousand jury duty notices were sent out across Georgia. The first 50 potential jurors have reported for questioning. Across London and Edinburgh, gun salutes to celebrate the start of the Platinum Jubilee year for Queen Elizabeth. Yesterday marked 70 years since she became queen after the death of her father, King George VI. And U.S. figure skater Vincent Zhou is out of the individual competition after testing positive for COVID. The news came just hours after he helped America win silver in the team figure skating event. Joe says that he had endured crushing loneliness while isolating for months before the games to avoid the virus. But he says, Scott, he's already planning his comeback. I'll send it back to you. I appreciate that, Rahel. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. All right, let's talk Netflix shares now. They're down more than 30% so far this year. Today, Needham's Laura Martin out with a very provocative note that says Netflix cannot win the streaming war. That's the headline. And what they should do, potentially, is consider selling itself. That's number four on the list, among a few other choices as well. Steve Weiss, I begin with you, because we are, once again, we have some business to take care of. Because uh, you've left me confused about something. Here we go. Last Friday, okay, Weiss, we had a conversation about Netflix in which you said the day before, which was Thursday, that you bought more Netflix and you called it a long-term trade. Okay? Are you, are you with me so far? Yep. Okay. Uh, the question is, are you with me? No, no, no. I think well, one I... of us has a problem following okay. the other. All right. So it's I just want to make sure we're on the same page thus far. And I, I'm going slow. I want yep. to make sure everybody gets this. Today, <laughs> I find out that you were stopped out of Netflix. How's that, how's that work? Well, let me explain trading to you, Scott. Okay. Trading as opposed to core positions, you put levels in. At least I do to control your risk. Okay. John does this, I know. I know. Others do it right. who are astute traders. So I had a trade on. So I had to stop on that trade because I wasn't convinced of the fundamentals at a level where I thought I was done losing money. I didn't want to lose it. Every trade I put on typically has a stop. That's a trade. That's not an investment. In an investment, if a stock goes down dramatically, I re-underwrite the fundamentals to make sure that I'm okay. I don't have any interest nor the time to do that in trades. So that's why, and the operative word you said when you described this was long-term trade. Long-term trade can be a short-term trade if it hits my stops. 
So I don't have any ego about this. I could be wrong. I was wrong. Took the emotion out. Used to stop. That's why I'm out. It was a very. It's not, it's, it's not complicated at all. No, but but um, I guess I I wanted to know why you would call something a long term trade, but then have such a tight stop on a four hundred dollar stock that at the end of the day only needed two to two and a half percent of downside to hit what was a very tight stop in something that you said was a long-term trade. I just wanted to make sure we got to the full well, bottom of on, how you on. were thinking the, about the it. The stock trade, this, okay, okay, the stock got up to 424, okay? That's 5% down. How much do you want me to put in there to protect my downside? Well, I don't want you Should to I do anything. Should a 10% loss on a trade? I don't want and, you to well, do anything. Well, apparently you do. I've got, I've got my discipline, and I move my stops depending upon where the, where the stock is. That's what good traders do. You're and that's what trader. I did. So, so I moved my stop, limit my losses. I took a loss on it because I did buy more. If I kept with the original position, I'd be fine. My stop would have been moved up anyway because then I'd want to make money on the trade. So that's just how you do it. It's just good risk management. And that's, that's what I try to do. No doubt. I keeps mean, me uh, solvent. No doubt. Uh, obvious good risk management. Um, I, just want, I just wanted to make – why are you laughing, Doc? Um, I just wanted to make no, sure I understood. Doc, do you do the same thing? Doc, do yes, you do sir. that? Yes, sir. Yep, I do, Steve. Okay, uh, so what's uh, the so part funny, that Doc. Steve's dead exactly. right about? Well, no, it, yeah, uh, the, Steve is managing risk. Bryn, Josh, all of us have to, Joe, we're all focused on managing risk. Um, some of us do it with options. Obviously, Bryn and um, Steve and I do it with options. Um, the rest of you use stop orders, I imagine, and so forth. But you always have to make sure you're watching that. Risk. I use it was just course. funny the way you were interacting course, with Scott. My, my, I guess my impression of it, and if, if I'm wrong in thinking about it this way, then so be it. I, I, I don't care. Um, my impression. I, I think, of, Scott, well, I th- in, fa- in fairness, in fairness, I think what I said was it could be a long trade because Joe said Joe was involved in the conversation. He said Steve's not going to own it that long. I said could be a long term trade. No, you know, I understand. It, it is a long term trade. And I, be I, I got you. My, I guess my, my, I'm going to finish what I was going to say. My, my impression would be when somebody is considering something and I'll use the word now potentially as a long term trade, since maybe you weren't as definitive as I made it out to be if it's potentially a long-term trade in what can be a fairly volatile stock one that's trading at 400 bucks perhaps usually one would be willing to assume a little more risk rather than such a tight stop to where the stock is now versus what the low was on thursday or where it closed on Thursday. You know, you, you're not. Shouldn't you, be, you, Scott. Hold on, hold on, be, hold on. Josh. You're not wrong. Hold, hold on, on, Josh. Let, let Josh, Josh please hold on. let him answer the question. Go ahead, Weiss. You know, I, I I don't disagree with you, but when I and I would have used, frankly, a wider stop. But go back to what I said about the market. The market is not going after these stocks that have disappointed. And it's not giving you the bounce that you would typically get in a market, even of six months ago. So because of that, if I had, you know, a normal volatility, and I don't associate volatility with risk. I generally associate with opportunity, but I'm not convinced that's going to trade higher. So it's not a very expensive stock. It is expensive. And their earnings aren't going to blow it out this year. They've been clear about that. 
So that's why I did it. So, so you're absolutely right. That's a tight stop. 5% is a tight stop. But given the market, that's why I used a tight stop. Totally understand. And look, I'm glad you, you explained it. I think part of the exercise of, of all this is a little bit at times of trade school, too. I mean, right, the way that you guys yeah. trade is not necessarily the way that the average Joe or Jane trades their portfolio. So I just want everybody to be as specific as possible, especially as Weiss, you use the term in a market like this. Josh, go ahead. Right. I was just I was going to just say in support of what Steve is saying, one of the things we don't do on the show that maybe we should is when somebody says they're buying a stock, maybe your follow up question, Judge, should be, when do you say you're wrong? Like, all right, I understand you're bullish. You like Netflix for, for a trade. Steve hopes maybe it'll be a long term trade. But like, where do you know you're wrong? And this is where we probably all differ. John, Steve, myself, Bryn, from my perspective, 5%, 8% is not relevant to me. It's what is the reason I'm doing the trade? If it's a trade, it's usually technicals. Well, the technicals would determine where my stop is. So maybe that's a moving average, which when violated tells me the sellers are still in control or, or whatever. They, maybe that's a trailing stop based on a trend that I, that I see. But like that would be a good way I think to frame for the viewers like, okay, this is a trade. Why are you putting the trade on? When do you know you're wrong? Because the thing about trading is you don't double down just because the market takes the stock lower and then say, no, 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 I know I'm right. The market's wrong. And now I'm putting it. That's more like an investment where you really have high conviction that the price is incorrect. On a trade, I think you're much more open-minded and willing to be proven wrong quickly and you want to take as small of a loss as possible. That's really what defines that difference. So I think Steve is explaining it well. And then maybe where there's room for, for even more divergence is, well, what do you set that stop based on? So for some people, it's their own risk, 5%. For other people, it's like, well, this is where the trend is a downtrend. And I no longer think that the stock's working. So that, that's, what, that's, that's where I would, I, I, I appreciate differ. But I agree. I, I appreciate Josh saying I said it well, but he, act, but he actually, I am, but he actually said it a lot better than I said it. And that's exactly right. Perfect definition. All right. All right. Good stuff. Let's take a break. John's got unusual activity coming up. First, though, February, CNBC is celebrating black history. Here is CNBC contributor Isaiah McKinnon with what inspired him to become the man he is today. I experienced hatred because of the color of my skin, but I use that to enact change. I've met six presidents and countless other leaders. But the one who truly taught me the meaning of building wealth was Nelson Mandela. He inspired me to believe that true wealth is built on education, commitment, fortitude, love, hard work, and sacrifice. That's why I stand tall as I do today. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close 
or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. And welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. The big rotation is on out of thematic tech and into value, energy, commodities, dividends, anything inflation themed. Let's talk to the heads of two ETFs in the thick of that rotation. Jeremy Schwartz is the global chief investment officer for Wisdom Tree. Christian Magoon is the CEO of Amplified. Jeremy, you run one of the biggest thematic tech ETFs out there, the cloud computing ETF, WCLD. A year ago, a billion and a half in assets, now under a billion. How would you characterize the flows in and out of thematic tech right now? Is there any sense of a bottom? You know, it, it, when you look at the big rotation, for sure, cloud has been one of the fastest growing segments of the market, and those stocks have come off. Uh, they're around 33% off their 52-week highs, that cloud basket. It's one of the biggest drawdowns you've seen in any segment of the market. Uh, so you're, you're, you're seeing the valuation of those have come to where they're the cheapest. Now, they're still expensive versus the market, but they're cheap as they've been uh, from versus themselves in a long time. There's been modest, I'd say modest outflows. Um, you know, people are still looking at that as a one of the higher growth areas, and, and, and they're investing that way. Yeah, I agree. Outflows have been very modest in the particular ETF you were talking about there. Now, Christian, any ETF with the title inflation in it has inflows right now, big inflows. You just launched an inflation fighter ETF. The symbol is IWIN. It contains a mix of stocks, gold, Bitcoin even, commodities in it. The goal here, not just to provide capital appreciation, but you claim you can do it in inflation adjusted terms. Can you explain that? Yeah, that's right. So we're focusing with iWin on really two asset classes, commodities, which benefit from inflation, but also stocks that are in businesses with scarce assets, commodity REITs, asset miners, uh, all these businesses and investments uh, benefit from inflation and should be able to outpace uh, this kind of scourge of inflation that's hitting investors' wallets as well as their portfolios. So we're quite bullish on this as a way to hedge against inflation with iWin. Okay, we're going to have a lot more on where the money is going in the ETF world coming up on ETF Edge at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, Jeremy and Christian will be joined by Mike Akins from ETF Action. We will show you the hot ETFs, where the flows are in value, in energy, in dividends, inflation-themed, as well as commodities. ETF Edge, that's CNBC.com at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Halftime back right after this. All right, Dr. J, unusual. What do you have for us? Let's start with energy, Scott. Uh, We've got Chevron, CVX. These are calls that expire this coming Friday. So you've just got these four days to trade it, Scott. They're buying the 138 and the 140 calls. And with oil down about a percent, this one's up almost 2%. Second one, tech resources. Here they're buying a longer term play, at least longer in my way of looking at it. The March 35 calls with the stock at about 33.75. They bought an awful lot of those calls very quickly, Scott. I joined both of these two stocks. I didn't have either one before. Hey, Doc, I always like to try and do some, you know, forensics, if you will, uh, with you about deals. Mm -hmm. Uh, Frontier and Spirit, you seeing any unusual ahead of that? 
Yeah, it turns out uh, on your air, I think it was you and Pete talked about save, S-A-V-E, the spirit symbol. Um, maybe it was the 13th or the 16th of January. They've continued to bet on the 25 calls, both January and then February and then March. March has the largest open interest, and those things made maybe two or three hundred percent, Scott. I also saw that, Doc, you bought Peloton calls. Now, you know, we've got this chatter about interest in, in the company, at least potential interest, according to reports, maybe Amazon, maybe Nike. Some people are talking Apple would be a good suitor. Um, so you bought Peloton calls late last week because of unusual activity yep. that you saw, I presume? Exactly, Scott. I mean, uh, what, what happened was on your show live, we saw that unusual put activity. And then our reporter, uh, Lauren, put out a great story about how uh, there was a rumor that Peloton was going to shut down a line for some period of time. That was put buying. Then late last week on Friday, big upside call buying in Peloton. Those calls have paid off huge because that was also the 25 strike. But the stock in the pre-market went to 32 plus. So those went $7 in the money. Uh, that was probably three or 400%. I'm still in some of these calls, Scott, hoping for a second bid, but I don't want to wear out my welcome. Well, I was going to ask if you rolled up looking for a little more options action there. It sounds like you did a little bit, Doc. Don't get too, a gre- little bit. Don't get too greedy, though. Yes, sir. All right. All right, that's okay. not your day. Thank right. you, Scott. All right, uh, we'll come back with final trades next. All right, we're getting the word out early. Halftime report live from SoFi Stadium ahead of the Super Bowl. That's Friday, 12 o'clock. Al Michaels, he's calling the game. He trades stocks. He invests. He's going to be with us. Can't wait for that. And Jeffrey Gunlock. Now, I know I say this every time. Oh, it's a great time to have Gunlock on the show. But, I mean, really, is there not a better time than right now to have Jeffrey Gunlock, double-line CEO on the halftime report, given what's going on with the Fed and rates and the markets? Can't wait to hear from him. We'll speak to him in an exclusive on Friday from SoFi. Do not miss it. All right, let's do final trades. Bryn Talkington, you're first. Um, LIT, the global lithium and ET, battery ETF. Um, LIT is about 20% off its highs of 97. There is a structural demand supply imbalance with both lithium and batteries. Mm-hmm. It's an international play. And so this, we think, a good entry point here into LIT. Okay, good stuff. Joe Terranova. Scott, after the show, I'm going to buy Coinbase. You've got a gap from uh, yesterday to today at 197 to 198.20. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use a stop at 187.15. That's below the pivot range from Friday. You could Google what a pivot range means. Okay. It's about a 9% risk. Josh Brown. I am going to short sell Coinbase right at Joe's stop, exacerbating his loss. <laughs> I like uh, Live Nation here. <laughs> I, stock has Hurry. held up really well. Okay. Weiss, quick. I am done, done, done. Corvo. Corvo. Okay, Dr. J, wrap it up. Dynatrace. DT, Dynatrace. Okay, I, I appreciate it, guys. Uh, that does it for us. Thank you so much for watching. The Exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. 
That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.